0: Good morning, Saints at Church on (laughs) Mill. Good to hear from you. Um, Thank you on behalf of my family. Uh, They were in the first service, but uh, you guys have been such a gift to us. It has been uh, such a great experience to be here among you and to be a part of your church family. And so we thank you for welcoming us in and making us feel loved and cared for. And so hopefully uh, we can continue to do the same for you. as we're getting ready to turn to 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, here's a, here's a thought I had this week, that as I was thinking about this message, I was thinking about this passage, that I don't like fighting. Like, is anybody kind of, like, like, you get in a fight with somebody, and I, I just don't like it. <laughs> right? it, It It makes me uncomfortable. Um, I know, like, what this could potentially, I'm old enough to I know what this could lead to, it could lead to some serious harm or scars in a relationship, right? Like fights are dangerous. Okay? And then and when you get to the end of a fight, you kind of have this big question, right? Which is, was that worth it? Was it really worth that fight? Like, was it worth getting into this big fight with this person that I really care about, or coworker, or whoever, friend, or or whatever? And I think the apostle Paul wants to give us something today that is worth fighting for. I think that if he had a big idea of what he's trying to get across today, I I think he would be okay with me saying this, right? That God's love is worth fighting for. So sometimes we're going to need to correct people lovingly. Because God's love is worth fighting for, there will be times when we have to lovingly gently kindly correct god's people so that's kind of where we're headed today now in the way of review let's kind of take a little bit and catch us up to speed let's have our kind of like if you're watching a good tv show they'll have that little recap before the show starts so you can kind of remember okay yeah i remember what happened in the last episode so let's do that right? What's happened so far in this letter? So context is we know that this letter is written by a name, a man named Paul. He was an apostle of Jesus Christ, which means that he had the authority to write scripture, which nobody in this room has. If you do, please talk to Pastor Chuck afterwards, because that's a problem, all right? So, <laughs> okay, so he... Scripture. He's the Apostle Paul. He's a great church planter. He's gone all over the kind of the Holy Roman, or not the Holy Roman Empire, but the Roman Empire, and uh, he's, he's planted churches, and he planted a church in a place called Ephesus, okay? And he plants this church, and the church starts getting into a little bit of trouble. He's starting to get a little funky on some things, and there's kind of like some threats to the gospel that are arising at the church of Ephesus. So he sends an emissary. He sends his spiritual son, someone who's very near and dear to his heart, to go to Ephesus to help kind of clean it up and put things back into order. And so that's what Timothy, this letter, is written to him. It's written by the Apostle Paul to his spiritual son. So he's a spiritual father to Timothy, and he's writing this letter to him. And so we get this intimate experience that we're invited into to see and to read. What is this spiritual father saying to this spiritual son? And what's happening is Timothy and this church are under threat. Like people are kind of bucking up against Timothy's leadership. They're bucking up against the very gospel that Paul delivered to the church at Ephesus. And so that's the context in which Paul is writing this letter. So I want to look at three things as we examine these three verses. I want to look at what is worth the fight, how can we fight, and who do we fight? What's worth fighting for? How can we kind of do that in a helpful way? And then who? Who should we fight? So let's look in verse 18. In verse 18 here, this is how Paul opens up this section. He says, this charge. So this charge is going to be obviously referring something back, okay? Because he's already used this charge language previously. If you go back up to verse 3, he says, you may charge. So he's giving Timothy to charge. Certain persons not to teach, right? Because they're teaching different doctrines that are taking people away from Christ, harming people. And then in verse 5, it says, the aim of our charge, so it's him and Timothy, is love that issues from a pure heart and a good consciousness is sincere faith. So what is this charge? The charge is love. And it's not just any type of love. The word here is not the verb love, right? It's the noun verb, it's, it, ver, it's the noun love. it's the object of our love. And so what is the object of Paul's love? What's the object of Timothy's love? What's the object of God's love? Christ. The love of God is most clearly seen in the person of Jesus Christ. It's put on display for us at the cross of Christ. And so that's what Timothy is to keep. He's to guard it. And this is what Paul is entrusting to Timothy, who is a leader in the church of Ephesus. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child. He's entrusting it to him. And then what's he entrusting him to do with it in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. He's charging Timothy to fight, to fight for this, right? This thing that is precious to Paul, that is precious to God, that is precious to Timothy, he's saying, you gotta be ready to go to war for it. You gotta be ready to fight because this is worth it. You see, when, you know, my family was in the first service and I don't think it would be obscure for me to say that my four children my wife are precious to me. You see, when you entrust something to someone, you're saying, this is precious to me. Right? This is important to me. And so if some of you here in the room were to say, okay, John, I know that you and Amy are going to be like at this conference, you know, it's out of town. Would you like us to, to take care of your kids? Or if you knew, like, hey, John and Amy, would you like to go out on a, on a date night? You know, I would be entrusting to you what is precious to me right and i would expect you to look over that with care because it's what i love what is near and dear to my heart and so you would need to be ready to fight if that were to come under threat i would want to know you're going to take care of them right More than likely, that threat would come from within. They'd probably want to harm each other, and you'd be like, guys, stop. Right? So we take care of what we love, what is near and dear to us, that we have to be ready to fight for it. So what's worth fighting for? It's what is precious to us, and what is precious to God? What is precious to Paul? What is precious to Timothy? What's supposed to be precious to the saints at Ephesus? Christ! The love of God and Christ is supposed to be precious to us, dear to us, close to our hearts. That is what is worth fighting for. Now, how can we fight? You see, nobody likes a dirty fighter. We don't want to fight dirty, right? Like you get in a fight and somebody starts kind of throw in like, some ammunition at you that like maybe something you reveal to them in confidence and they start throwing it at you. You're like, damn, man, that's kind of dirty. You know, like, (gasps) that's not cool, right? Nobody likes a dirty fight. So we want to learn how do we fight in a good way? What's a good fight? How do we fight in a healthy way? Well, Paul gives us a couple of examples here, I think, in this passage. Verse 18, this charge I entrust to you to Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you. So the question I would ask myself if I'm reading this text, I'd say, okay, what are those prophecies? What is is Paul talking about? There's there's clearly some type of experience that Paul's familiar with, that Timmy's familiar with, that Paul's saying, hey, remember this. What is that? Well, I'm going to use a cheat code and go forward, right? A little biblical hack here, and uh, probably somebody else is going to preach this passage, but I'm just going to go ahead and Use it anyway. All right, so go over to chapter four, just a couple you know, a page or two over in your Bible. And we look at verses 11 through 16 here, and he, Paul's giving some instructions to Timothy. Command and teach these things, right? Let no one despise you because you're young. Um, uh, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, exhortation, teaching. Don't neglect, here it is. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you, by prophecy when the council of elders laid hands on you. Well, I think this is probably a pretty good idea here of what the, the reference to prophecy that Paul's probably talking about. It's this experience of some, a group of mature godly men who recognize in Timothy the gift to preach and teach. And so they're saying, hey, Timothy, you've got this gift, We're going to lay hands on you, which is a way to say we affirm this gift in you, and we're commissioning you to go do this. And so Paul's saying, hey, Timothy, the way you're going to remember that you have the ability to fight this fight is remember the prophecy of the mature elders who laid hands on you and affirmed your calling. Anybody who's been in ministry a long time or you've been in your field a long time, we get doubts. It gets hard. And a helpful tool that we can have is to remember, oh, other saints have affirmed this calling. Oh, this is not just me. It's not something crazy. I just made up in my mind. No, other saints have said, yes, you're called to do this. Keep fighting the good fight. So this is a resource that, that Paul is giving Timothy. He's saying, hey, look back to face today. Look back as you think about the threats that are coming tomorrow. Don't forget your calling. Now, it's not the only thing that he gives them on how to fight. He, he he's also takes it even a step further. Look at verse 19. So he's waging the good warfare by these prophecies, holding faith and a good conscience. Well, this, these groupings of words have been used earlier Back in verse 5, the aim of our charge is love, that issues from a pure heart, and here it is, a good conscience and a sincere faith. So this faith that Paul is describing here, more than likely in holding faith, is not like the faith, which would have been like the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the gospel, sound doctrine. This is personal faith, sincere faith. So he's saying, you know, Timothy, you have a gospel story. You had an encounter with Jesus. Remember that. Remember what drew you to him, what was precious to you in that moment. Remember your gospel story. Now, Paul's demonstrated this in verses 12 through 17, right? If we look back there in verses 12 through 17, though, formally, I was a blasphemer, persecutor, insolent opponent, but I received mercy. Verse 14, the grace of our Lord overflowed with me with faith and love that are in Christ. See, Paul is remembering his gospel story. He's remembering I was appointed to service even though I was all these things, these terrible things, yet God drew me to himself. That Jesus makes a special, Jesus already ascended into heaven and he makes a special trip down in the book of Acts. It says, Paul, Boom, he falls literally off his horse, like, why are you persecuting me? He may not have been that loud, but, you know, I'm I'm that loud. (laughs) Why are you persecuting me? Why are you harming what is near and dear to my heart? Why are you looking to, to harm me? I should be precious to you. My church should be precious to you. You see, there's something about remembering our gospel story. That first time that we we felt the intimacy of God and Christ. How precious he was to us in that moment. Can we remember that? It's hard as you go along. I've been a Christian a long time. It's hard to remember what it was like in that moment. Paul's saying, hold on to that. As Paul's held on to it. Not just holding on to your your personal faith, but with a good conscience. See, Pastor Chuck talked about this, that many times when we start slipping away, when our personal faith, our sound doctrine, it starts with all these little moral decisions, good and bad decisions that we make, that start to reveal where our heart really is is God really the love of my life or is something else? Because then that's when I'll start compromising, making bad conscious decisions that are gonna affect my relationship with what I, I know is supposed to be the love of my life, the treasure of my heart. See, Paul's got all these resources, all these good gifts that have been given to Timothy. And he's saying, How do you fight? You go back. You remember your gospel story. You remember your, your faith story. You, you remember all the instruction that God has given you in the Bible so that you can hold faith and a good conscience. You can make good, wise decisions. Go back to the, the gifts that people have recognized in you that you're supposed to use to glorify God and to love your neighbor well. And this makes me think of a movie napoleon dynamite you ever seen napoleon dynamite before it's a great movie gosh yeah yeah somebody said it over there i love that <laughs> if you've seen the the, the movie napoleon develops a, a, a deep precious relationship with this guy named pedro and pedro decides to run for class president right you okay, so guys it's already started so really you've seen it you're already picturing this image in your mind right you see it all happening and we get to the end of the movie, and, and Pedro's running against this really popular, like, cheerleader girl who's, like, supposed to win, right? Like, she's the most popular girl at school. She should probably win class president, right? And um, her, she gets up. She gives her speech and all these different things. And her friends kind of come out, and they do this, like, what's supposed to be a good dance routine. I don't think it really is, but, you know, they, they make it seem like it's a good dance routine. Everybody's impressed with it. And so Pedro comes out and gives his speech, and then the, the president or whoever, dean of students, like, tells him, like, hey, do you have your, like, talent ready to go? And he's like, "I was supposed to do a talent? And he doesn't know what to do in that moment. Now, earlier in the movie, like, Napoleon was at a Goodwill or a thrift store or something, and he found, like, this little VHS, you know, tape, and some of you remember VHS, right? Where he could, like, learn hip-hop dance moves. And he goes in his room, and he's drinking Gatorade and stuff, and he's, like, learning all these hip-hop dance moves. And so he's in that moment, and he's watching his friend kind of, like, spiral down. (laughs) he's, like, he's giving a speech. He has no talent to show. And so Napoleon, like, you know, has a tape of, like, some hip-hop music, and he takes it up there and uh, to the sound booth, and they play the song. And then he steps on stage, and he's just got his hands in his pockets. He's got his snow boots on. He's got his jeans tucked in there. And he's got his Vote for Pedro t-shirt on. And he just starts busting out into these dance moves and he does this like whole evolution of dance dance like you <laughs> know thing and what's pedro doing or, or what's napoleon doing he's using the gift he has of these hip-hop dancers he has to like take care of what's freshest to him he doesn't want to see his friend spiral down and the crowd goes bananas and they go nuts and like it's like vote for pedro yeah he didn't become school president right well, this is what we're supposed to do with the gifts that God has given us. We use our gifts to to help take care of what's precious to us. Pedro was precious to Napoleon, and so he uses the gifts to take care of his friend. What are the gifts that God has given us that we're used to take care of what's precious to us, to take care of the gospel, the the, the, the gospel of God's love in Christ? to his church, to his people. And so there's this pattern that Paul does here of how we can fight is we think back on what God has done or what God has given us to face today or to face tomorrow. So we've looked at what is worth the fight. We've looked at how we can fight. So let's now look at who do we fight. Verse 19 Right, so he just said, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made a shipwreck of their faith. By rejecting this, some have made a shipwreck of their faith. This rejecting word in the original language is a—it's like pushing something, throwing it away. It's not pre- you don't push someone when they're precious to you, right? You don't throw something away when it's precious to you. You keep it, you guard it, you take care of it. And so this is, clearly there's something that used to be precious to these people that is no longer precious to them. That's what this rejecting is, by rejecting this. And this is more than likely God's love in Christ. It's no longer precious to them they're pushing it away. They're rejecting it. And what's been a result of that? It shipwrecked their faith. A shipwreck is a crash. Now, most shipwrecks, when it happens, it kind of just happens to you. These are people who are doing it. So it's more like self-sabotage. It's someone who's driving the boat and just says, I'm going to wreck this thing. And they've shipwrecked, they've self-sabotaged themselves. And who are the people who've done this? Among whom, he gives two examples here, among whom are Hymenius and Alexander. More than likely, he's mentioning it because people probably had public knowledge. People are aware, oh, yep, Hymenius and Alexander, I remember what happened there. They rejected God's love in Christ, shipwrecked their faith, Some of the scholars I read this week think that possibly these were two guys who were elders in the church of Ephesus. Two people that Paul had possibly trained, discipled, raised up to be mature men in Christ. And now they're rejecting what Paul delivered to them, what Paul entrusted to them, what was precious to him. And what does he want Timothy to do? hand them over to Satan. He says, whom I've handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blasphemy. So, what does he want to happen? He wants them, he's handing them over, what? To what happened? To learn. And to learn what? Not to blasphemy. See, blasphemy is when you, you take something that's precious to God, and it's meaningless to you. Right? So, they're blaspheming because they're taking what is precious to God and saying this is not worth it. So we, I, I don't know if you can see this, but I, I, when I read this slowly, I know it feels like harsh language. It feels like you know mean-spirited language, but I actually see Paul's love and compassion here. These are two men he cares about deeply, people who are swerving away from what? God's love. That's dangerous. That's life-threatening. And so he sees something here, he says, no, 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 please don't do that. You're wandering away, You're, you're, you're listening to the serpent. He's trying to take you away like he did our first parents in the garden. And I, I particularly see this as Paul's compassion because of what he said back in verses 12 through 17 when he's rehearsing his own gospel story. What did he just say? He said, okay, God's appointed me to his service, though formerly I was what? A blasphemer. You see, it's not Paul's up here and there down here. You know, Paul is saying, like, I was there. I remember being there. I know what it was like to be a blasphemer. I know what it was like to be a persecutor of God's people, harming them. I know what it was like to be an insolent opponent of God and his people. It's not worth it, guys. And so, here, this is Paul's love and compassion toward these people because he's been there. Anyone who's made those mistakes, who's been there, what do we do when we have people that we love and we get? We warn them don't do that. It's a road to destruction. It's going to hurt you. It's going to harm you. We can't stop it from happening, but we want to warn them. And so how do we do this? Like, how do we warn? How do we discipline? How do we correct people? Well, I think there's a few passages that that help me think through how we should lovingly correct people. And so I'm going to go outside of 1 Timothy for a couple of these passages, right? Hebrews 12. I think this tells us what motivates discipline, what motivates correction. So when you think about the elders here at the church or when you think about other saints here at the church who are stepping in to help with correction or discipline, see this as what's motivating them. And if you are stepping into that, think of this as what should be motivating you. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. And here it is. For the, the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. So what motivates God's discipline, what motivates God's correction, what motivates that? Love. He loves us. So He disciplines us. He says, don't, don't do that, that's harmful. That's going to hurt you. He would be unloving to not discipline. It's like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, go ahead, have it your way. I don't really care. No, God's love disciplines, corrects. So that's what motivates our discipline is God's love. Now, how do we kind of start the prep work of discipline? Well, I think we have to fight for Humility. See this as an example in the Apostle Paul. Like if we go over to Acts 20, this is this moment here when Paul's getting ready to, to go to jail and he, he might possibly never get out again, he might be killed. So he's having this intimate moment with actually the, the Ephesian elders, the, the leaders of the Church of Ephesus. And here's some instruction he gives them. He says, Pay careful attention in 28 to yourselves. See, notice that first. Pay attention to yourself. Watch your hearts. Watch your doctrine. Watch your lifestyle. Paul said the same thing to Timothy over there in, in verse 16. Keep close watch on yourself and your teaching. You see, this is a, a pattern Paul establishes. Watch out. There's stuff that's going to tempt you. Now, they're elders, they're pastors, so they also have the, not only to watch themselves, but they also have the responsibility to watch over the flock. Right? So pay attention to yourselves, what you're saying is precious to your heart, keep it precious to your heart, and the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Now, this is beautiful. Watch this. Okay? Watch this. This is so cool. Paul knows what's coming. Like, this hasn't happened yet, but he can already see the signs. I know what's going to happen here. I've done this, I've planted churches enough to see. 29, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. There's going to be things that are coming in that are going to try to harm. They're going to try to hurt you. Verse 30, and from among your own selves will men arise speaking twisted things. So it's not just threats outside, but threats inside. to draw away the disciples after them. So what is Paul's instruction? Therefore, 31, be alert. Any good soldier, any good fighter is ready. They're alert. When they sense potential danger, they're alert. They're ready. to. W- they're woken up. Remember that for three years, I did not cease night or day. Now, listen to this. This is great. <laughs> this is where you could see Paul's heart. He... Night and day did not cease to admonish everyone with tears. Tears. Can you see this image? As this man is warning these elders, as he's warning these saints, his tears are coming down his face, pleading with them. I mean, if that's not a mark of humility in this man, I don't know what is. He cares so deeply he's brought to tears as he admonishes them, as he warns them, as he instructs them. You're precious to me. Don't wander away, please. I know what that's like. I've done it. Don't do it. It's not worth it. What motivates discipline? God's love. How do we kind of prep, get ready for it? We humility, we examine ourselves. We're alert. And then what's the hope? 1 Corinthians 5, 5. Very similar language to what's happening here in one twenty in 1 Timothy. You are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. So what's the aim of the discipline? What's the aim of the correction? Restoration. Actually bringing them back to what's precious to God. Christ. Bringing them back to the love of God. That's the aim of correction. It's not to shame people or to we want them to go away and never return it's actually we want them to come back we want them to come back to god what is precious what is near and dear to our hearts but they're chasing after satan they're chasing after the things of the world and so paul says let them go so that they can experience the full weight of their choices Now, I don't know where it gets to a certain point where we have to let them go. But it's case by case. Trust your elders usually in that. You know, <laughs> like They probably have good wisdom, have probably a lot more information about what's going on. But that's the, it, what motivates us is God's love. How do we kind of prep and get ready for it, for humility, and then what's our aim? Restoration. Bring them back to the love of God. Now, I think there's something underneath all of this that kind of fuels this for Paul. It's not explicitly stated here in the text or anything like that, but I, I think it's what's precious to Paul that motivates his instruction and all the things he's writing here, I think, is the gospel. So I want to look in these closing moments to say, okay, what, how does Jesus fulfill this text So what did Jesus fight for? Like, what did Jesus fight? He fought sin. Because it's sin that gets in the way of us having a loving relationship with God. It's sin that caused our parents in the garden to stray away from the love of God. And so what does Jesus come to fight? He comes to fight the God's love inhibitor, <laughs> that's what I call it. <laughs> the love inhibitor between us and God is sin. And so Jesus came to defeat sin, and he fought it. Never fell victim to it, lived a perfect life. Constantly had victory over it. Was tempted in every yet way, Hebrews tells us, yet without sin. He fought it. And how did he ultimately defeat it? The cross. And notice the beauty here, right? Blasphemers, Paul is talking about he's a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent. Well, what is Jesus doing on the cross? He's being treated like a blasphemer. He's being treated like he's a persecutor of God and his people. He's being treated like an insolent opponent of God. At the cross nailed to the cross treated that way and who did he do that for he did it for you and me we're actually the blasphemers we're actually the persecutors we're actually the insolent opponents but jesus becomes our substitute he goes and he takes the punishment we deserve takes on the full wrath of god So that our sin would be killed, and so finally, if we notice this subtle little thing here. I've been hinting at who does Jesus fight? Who did he fight? Like we see what he fought sin, how he fought it at the cross, being a substitute for us. And so, who did he fight? Us. Remember, we're we're the blasphemers. We're the persecutors. We're the insolent opponents. And what does he do after that fight? He's fighting to win us over. (laughs) That when we see the beauty of his love extended to us on the cross, like it's enthralling. It becomes near and dear to our hearts. Say, wow, Jesus, you were willing to do that for me? You were willing to do that for the church? Whoa. And he wins us back we're off there wondering chasing after satan and the things of the world and he says nah, nah, nah. <laughs> look to the cross friends and see what motivated jesus was love love of the father love of the church love of his bride you see how this message What is precious to Paul, what is precious to Timothy, what is precious to God, should be precious to us, that that's worth fighting for. And if anyone is straying away from it, that we know, that that believe, that confess that, that clung to that, and they start to wander off, then we should lovingly correct them and call them back. Warn them, no, 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 no. Jesus fought for this. (laughs) Remember, he loved you. He won you. Remember the beauty of what he did. Friends, God's love is worth fighting for. It is absolutely worth it. So if we're asking ourselves that question, like what's worth fighting for? It's God's love to us in Christ, the gospel, the good news. It's worth it. So anytime someone's wandering off, we've got to be willing to, Lovingly go. Chase them down. Correct them. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the whole Bible, the instruction, the wisdom, the word pictures you give us of your love. In it, and so we thank you for this specific text here in First Timothy. The end of this section of the letter that we hopefully have seen your love put on display for us in Jesus. We've hopefully seen how much that love should is precious to you, and how it should be precious to us. So I pray that you would keep what is precious to you close to our hearts, that it would be precious to us, and that if we see people wandering off away from that precious message, that precious gift that you have given us in Christ, that we would call people back to it. If the love of God is being compromised or rejected, pushed away, tossed away, I pray that we would go and lovingly plead with people with tears if necessary to draw them back to you. I thank you so much for Jesus. He is near and dear to my heart. He's near to dear to so many people in this room. And I pray that you would keep him near and dear to us. And I pray all of this in the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.